Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad you could join me. Yeah, you know, things are, uh, you know, from a weather standpoint, at least, I, I should be grateful. Things are getting better by the day, and that's always good because we can spend more time outside with our dogs, and that's going to be, you know, kind of one of the things we talk about today. The other is we can go to the range more and actually work on the stuff that was bothering us last season about our shooting. So I thought it'd be a good time to kind of compile all the, you know, advice I've received or experienced or come up with on my own and share some of, with, some of it with you regarding shooting. And one or two or 20 of those tips might actually come in handy for you. Most of them have come in handy for me, although if you watch the TV show, you may not believe it. So shooting better is the main topic today in my quest here are the things I've learned, but not necessarily mastered. We'll also uh, talk about how your dog thinks, I think, in our Handle It segment. And also, um, the worst mischief your dog has gotten into lately. Those are all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast, brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Joy Dog Food, and FineBirdHuntingSpots.com. Yeah, I talked about my ammo last week. This week I got the... Uh, the shed out in the back 40 organized that's where i keep all my training gear and uh boy oh boy it needed organizing that's for sure uh i probably you know probably have uh, several lifetime supplies of uh, training bumpers you know retrieving dummies of various sorts uh, the homemade things i i messed with before i invented my real bird bumper you know everything from ammo bags, you know, shot bags to uh, garden hose, and then everything in between, plus all the bazillion commercial versions of everybody else's retrieving bumper. But it's all in its place, and you know how that goes. Everything, a place for everything, everything in its place, comes in handy when you're shooting videos or training your dog. You, on the other hand... <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. I <laughs> I came across a picture of Flick on a road trip a, a year or so ago. He's in a hotel bathroom. The only way I could tell is all, all the towels are neatly folded. <laughs> and there's uh, a clean toilet paper scattered all over the room. And then he's got some draped on himself. And it looks from the <clears throat> from the picture, at least, that if he moved forward, he would just continue to pull it off the roll until he got to the other end of the hotel room. I asked everybody there, what's the worst mischief your dog has gotten into lately? And boy, did I get a mouthful or an earful, I guess. <laughs> Tony Hill says, uh, eating a $150 leather watch band, at least for now. Whew. People still wear watches with leather bands? Wow. Tony, I feel for you. Betty Blackman says uh, 
He ripped up a floor duster. <clears throat> David Johnson says he just looked at me when he pieced out that bird. Yeah, right there on the living room floor. Yeah, there's a bunch and uh, another one. Up. Uh, Matt says about David's dog, at least he had fun. Uh, John Shepard, oh, I've been there, done that. He locked me out of the car. Gary Forrest has a video of his dog in a bathroom with toilet paper. Uh, Greg Shea has a picture of his dog uh, um, eating. Well, he's he's confessing to eating some of the um, the tulips. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Daniel Jarose, I had a dog like this. Uh, we worked on it a lot and finally succeeded but you feel I feel for you your dog escaped the kennel tore down the blinds in two rooms ate two loaves of bread um let's just say made a mess on the floor ripped apart the Carhartt jacket he'd had for 16 years oh and then he finished up by ripping the door frame panel off oh boy yeah that sounds like a big big job uh maybe a case of uh separation anxiety there and Lance, um, be grateful they didn't part it out like the last one. But uh, morning do doves don't belong in the hallway. I don't care how good looking those Weimariners are. Tell them to leave it outside and knock on the door and invite you out with them to take a look at what they found. Yeah, thanks a lot, everybody. That was um, educational. I guess that's one way to look at it. Whew. Yeah. We're brought to you by Joy Dog Food. You know, the company's been in business for 75 years, family owned and operated. Everything they put into their dog food is from America and made in America. They've got fixed formulas. And now I know I've seen the debates in years past on on Facebook, for, for example, about uh, how companies change their formula based on the pricing of the ingredients, or who knows what else will. These folks at Joy Dog Food will not do that. Take a look at their guaranteed analysis. Take a look at their ingredient list at joydogfood.com. And then take a look at midwayusa.com. Besides some videos and articles from me, <clears throat> they have just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. From uh, dog training to... Uh, Shooting, shotguns to ammo. <clears throat> yeah, I just placed a big ammo order so that I could practice a little bit more. We'll be talking more about why in just a few moments. Learn more about what they have to offer for we upland dog trainers and um, for our hunting experience as well. It's all at MidwayUSA.com. Well, if you've watched Wing Shooting USA on TV, uh, you know I'm the last guy to give shooting advice. Yeah, but I've been given a lot, and some of it is darn good. Everybody from uh, pro instructors to sporting clays experts to, well, everybody who hunts with me who outshoots me even on a good day. Uh, so I'm, 
I'm just going to compile a few of those into a, you know, a, a podcast full of tips that may help you in one way or another if you pick up one or two things from what I've learned or tried to learn. Hey, more power to you. Let me know how it works. They're in no particular order and um, maybe a little bit uh, a little bit redundant here and there. I'll try and edit myself as I go. But here's my list. And uh, the first one is uh, all about shooting excuses. Yeah, if you haven't got enough, here's a few for you. <laughs> you tripped over a rock. The bird flew out of its scent. Or this one, thank you, Sonny Hairston, for this. I know you're watching down on all of us. The moon got in my eyes. Yeah, that worked for me several times, and it might work for you. Now, yeah, I know, that really doesn't help with your shooting, except uh, unless you're me. But bad gun mount should, um, should not be an excuse for you. A lot of us go into a, you know, into a point, pointing dog situation or even at the range or, or anywhere else for that matter with our gun still at the port arms position, for example. When you, you know, and the argument against that, of course, is um, you got so many movements that are so counteractive to each other that you can't possibly get the muzzle pointed in the right direction, let alone get your head on the gun stock in the right place. So instead, learn more about this, what, what a lot of instructors will call the ready position. And if you're walking in on a pointing dog, um, get to that position the last couple steps before you push the bird into the air. What is the ready position? Well, basically um, pointing downrange towards where you think the dog, the, the bird is, and you can figure that out pretty easily. Um, <clears throat> gun muzzle up in a safe direction, buttstock kind of under your armpit, muzzle at about the height you expect to begin your gun swing. Now that gives your lead hand the chance to just pull forward, if you will, into the correct place um, for your, pardon me, <clears throat> for your buttstock to slide up out of your armpit and into that cup that your shooting shoulder will uh, create. Your head's going to probably come down into the right spot. The gun is going to come up to meet the head in the right spot. The only variable there is how much weight you're lifting with each of your hands. Ideally, your lead hand, the one on the forearm, is the one that's supposed to do most of the lifting. You're lifting and pulling at the same time, pulling forward, if you will, pushing, maybe that's a better term. And then your trigger hand is really just along for the ride. Try that a few times. Look up ready position on YouTube or something like that, and you might just uh, you might just save yourself a lot of gun motion, and with that, you eliminate a lot of the variables that are probably going to booger up your shooting. Yeah, which reminds me, editorial comment here: you want to be a better shotgunner. The best way to do it is to take a lesson from a qualified instructor who's also a bird hunter. And there's a lot of them out there. Now, yes, there are a lot of great shooters, especially a lot of great shooters at the range. Just ask them. <laughs> but what you want is somebody who understands the differences between shooting at birds and shooting at little black discs 
and there are some basic physical differences that they can help you with. Form, focus, gun fit, foot possession, position, those are all the things that are going to help you in the field as well as at the range. And then remember that only perfect practice makes perfect. Go to the range regularly. Shoot carefully, deliberately. 50, 60 targets. After that, you're just phoning it in. It's not perfect practice, and it's not going to make you a better shooter. Um, we talk a lot about gun mount when I'm taking a lesson and um, when I'm talking with great shooters and shooting instructors here on the Upland Nation podcast. Seldom is leaving any task for the last minute a good idea, except when you're shooting at game birds. Whether you know it or not, you're probably using uh, what some people call the Churchill method. Some people call it instinctive shooting. Some people call it move mount, shoot. The fundamental aspect of that is you don't put the gun up to your shoulder until you're basically ready to pull the trigger. You're following the bird the whole time. Your body is moving, your gun is tracking the bird, but you do not track it from a mounted position. The only time you mount the gun is when you're about to pull the trigger. That way your eyes, your hands, your arms, your hips, and your head are all moving in the right direction at the right speed so that it's a very natural, well, if you want to call it that, lead. We're not supposed to use that term in the instinctive shooting style, but that's basically what it creates. Try it. If you're missing as much as I miss. Gun fit was the big topic at Pheasant Fest this year. You know, we were premiering all of those new uh, pointer shotguns, uh, side-by-sides, plus a few others in the case colors. But um, everybody would take those guns off the rack and mount them and say, yeah, that fits pretty good. And uh, and we know that there's more to it than that. Uh, but it's better than nothing. And here's how you can improve that slightly. Here's a DIY gun fitting tip I got from somebody who runs a shotgun operation and knows of what they speak. First off, find a pro fitter if you're really serious about this stuff. If you can't get to one, you can figure out pretty close whether your gun is fitting you well. Stand in front of a full-length mirror if you can find one. Instinctively, naturally, but deliberately, shoulder that gun, look down towards the mirror. If your shooting eye is in line with the muzzle, any beads on the barrel, and the rib, you're probably pretty close to fitting. If not, you can shorten or lengthen your length of pull with, um, with different uh, butt pads, for example. That's the simplest way to get pretty close to your gun fitting. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host, uh, sharing all the things that I've heard, learned, maybe don't practice, hopefully that will help you become a better shooter. <laughs> One of the ones that I'm used to it now, I learned from a guy who, who uh, insisted we put our lead foot behind our lead foot, if you will. So if you're a right-handed shooter, you know, theoretically, you're going to put your left foot out in front. Well, he wanted it behind. 
and we were supposed to kind of lift up the heel a little bit. I understand all that, and someday I'll explain that idea as well. But whatever your foot position, get ready to adjust it once the bird flushes. You know what I mean. I was I was in northern Nevada last season, and I was ready for that bird to go straight away from me. Felton walked in on the bird, and that bird went and flew uphill instead. Now, that was a chucker, so that was, first off, surprising in itself. But second off, I wasn't ready for it to fly that way. But I swung on it anyway, but when I swung, I didn't move my feet at all. The first thing I should have done is not shot, not mounted the gun. I should have altered my entire body position, moved my feet so that they were where they should be, so that I could point naturally and instinctively in the direction of the bird. Yeah, move your feet before you do anything else if you need to. You will be able to swing better in either direction. You'll have much more flexibility, and there's a good chance that bird won't catch you corkscrewing into the ground because you're twisting so much. Your gun muzzle never catches up to the bird in that case. Never. I think it's a law of physics. All right. Um, and um, riding a bird. You know what that means? Well, the, the trap shooters do it. Skeet shooters do it. Uh, but they're using a different shooting style with some sort of lead most of the time. What that typically means is you put the gun up to your shoulder and you just track that bird all the way across your field of vision and shoot it whenever you feel like it. The fundamental problem with riding a bird, whether it's a live bird or a clay bird, is every moment that you have that muzzle up and tracking the bird is a, is a moment when you might jiggle, swerve, fall, blink, whatever. So rather than riding a bird and risking, um, you know, the wrong lead, if nothing else, just follow the earlier suggestion. Mount when you're ready to pull the trigger. Nice and smooth, but mount when you're ready to pull the trigger. We have a lot more to come here on the Upland Nation podcast, including some thoughts on how a dog thinks. I think. Coming up in just a few moments, more shooting tips as well. First off, you know, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School is where I'm getting my instruction these days. So if you pick up anything today, it's probably thanks to Dave and Vandy Fiedler, the two owner instructors over there at midvalleyclays.com. Learn more about uh, not only their instruction and scheduling a lesson, with one of their instructors, but also the uh, great line of products they have and all the clay target games they have available. I'll have some more news in that regard very soon, but believe me, it is like a Disneyland for adults. So if you're anywhere near Western Oregon and you're looking for a place to pop a cap or a couple hundred caps, check out midvalleyclays.com. And you know, you'll shoot better no matter what you're shooting if you put in good quality aftermarket choke tubes. 
The best I've found come from trulockjokes.com, T-R-U-L-O-C-K, trulockjokes.com. Last chance, 15% off all Pinhoti turkey chokes through the end of April. So get on those if you're one of those guys who likes to put on camel and make noise in the woods. Go to trulockchokes.com, 15% off all Pinhoti turkey chokes. Yeah, like I said, uh, uh, do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> if you've seen me shooting, you know, for the most part, I'm I'm having a good day if I'm hitting more than I'm missing. And uh, while that's, uh, you know, uh, better than some, it's worse than most. But I'm working on it constantly, and uh, maybe you are trying to become a better shooter too. Here's a good one. Yeah, I talked about foot position earlier. Um most of us will always put our uh, our opposite foot forward. So if we're a right-hand shooter, your left foot's going to be in front, etc. Um, great piece of advice that will help you in this swinging, swiveling, moving uh, area if you need it. Only put 60% of your weight on that front foot. Not much more than that. Then you're just a rifleman. And, and those guys... They have a different need. They're trying to steady their gun and they're shooting at a stationary target most of the time. Put 60% or less on the front foot. You can move a lot easier. Okay. <clears throat> Learned this the hard way on a winter hunt uh, this past season in, uh, where was I? Northeast California. Yeah, it gets cold up there. Take my word for it. And and so we were bundled up, you know, the usual stuff plus an extra layer. And sure enough, yeah, you know, you know where I'm going with this. All of those extra layers not only uh, change your length of pull, which is, the, by the way, that is the, the, the distance from the trigger to the center of the gun butt, if you want to call it that, the center of where it touches your shoulder. That's length of pull. You got an extra couple layers on. It might only be a quarter, maybe a half inch, maybe more. But it's going to change that, and so it's going to change your shooting. Not that you can't adapt. If you practice with your hunting clothes on, with your hunting gun, on targets that fly like the birds you shoot. More important than all of those is the first one. Shoot with your hunting clothes on. Put your vest on. You know, where's that shoulder strap end up? And you got crap on there that's going to get in the way of buckle or is it too thick or whatever. All those things really matter because they throw off the geometry of your shoulder, your cheek, your gun butt, your gun muzzle. All those things will affect your shooting. So once in a while, even in the midst of summer, t-shirt weather shoot with all your hunting clothes on i don't do this anymore well i try not to do it anymore maybe you do if i want flicks full attention and undying devotion i remember that one bird in the bag is worth two in, well one bird in the mouth is worth two in the air 
Yeah, that's all he cares about is carrying a bird around. It ain't going to happen if I miss both birds on a covey rise. You know why we miss when we're trying to get a double? We're shooting at that first bird, but before we even see that first bird drop, if it does, we're looking for the second bird. So we're raising our head off the stock, or we've swiveled the wrong way, or something's changed. Even if it's just a quick glance with our eyes, that throws off our first shot. Dogs, and I'm going to talk about this in a newsletter coming up, so if you're not not getting it, make sure you sign up. But dogs think linearly. A always goes to B, always goes to C, to D, and so on. In shooting, so should we. See, shoot the first bird first. See it drop. Mark it carefully. Then, and only then, if you have time, think about a second shot. That makes that second shot basically another first shot. You'll do everything right because you'll be starting from scratch and doing everything as you've practiced it at the range over and over from foot position to the ready position to the gun mount and the shooting. Boom. Yeah, I learned that um, the hard way several times on Valley Quail this year uh, in southeast Oregon where um, Knockwood, one of the few places where I can almost always find a covey and I can almost always embarrass myself by, uh, by shooting at the second bird before I've actually even shot the first bird. Yeah, perfect practice, even at the range. Yeah. Uh, my very first shooting lesson, and then as recently as last weekend at the range, I was reminded yet again by somebody who knows of what they speak, how important focus is. And we talk about that in various ways. The bottom line is actually the front line. What we want to look at, and the only thing we want to look at as we're about ready to pull the trigger, actually even before that, when we're tracking the bird with our body in the move, mount, shoot style, all we want to look at is the front end of that bird. Yeah, you we've all heard the, uh, what do they call it, butt, beak, bang. Well, that works really well if you're doing what they call a swing-through style or something like that. But um, with, with the, the, the majority of us who are shooting more instinctively, we don't need to start at the back end on the butt. What we need to look at is the beak or the eye or the red patch on a ring neck or something that's right on the front end and only that, as if you have blinders on. Focus like a laser on that and nothing else. Now, we know that will do something really good to your vision, but it also helps you physically block out any distraction, whether it's a chasing dog or a hunting partner or the rest of the covey or even your crappy foot position or the score of last night's game. All those things fade into the distance when you focus intently on the front end of that bird. Think about it. Try it sometime. You can even do it on a clay target. Yeah, sometimes it's a little harder, but most times it's not. Just focus on that leading edge and you will, you will see more success. All right. 
last bit of advice here at the Upland Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Linden. If you have one box of shells at the range, shoot all straight going away targets. Yeah, if you think about last season, that's what most of those birds did, didn't they? Why not practice what you're going to encounter next season? You got two boxes? Shoot a few low birds. Out here in the west, it's uh, valley quail. They'll fly at, uh, you know, shoulder height and no higher because then they're going to get caught by a cooper's hawk. But wherever you're hunting, most birds will uh, at some point be low on your radar screen. So shoot some low birds. Adjust your own thrower or maybe shoot some rabbits or any of those raised stations that put you higher than the target thrower. And then fire up the lawnmower. Yeah, that's enough shooting for the day. Remember, perfect practice is what makes perfect. Not that I know what I'm talking about, except when I'm sharing this stuff with other, that other people have shared with me. And I sure appreciate that. So if you have ever shot with me, ever taught me a lesson, or ever hunted with me somewhere, thank you. I just stole all your best advice and shared it with everybody else. I hope you don't mind. How a dog thinks, I think, coming right up on the Upland Nation podcast. First, you'll shoot better if you shoot a good gun. And PointerShotguns.com is where you find all sorts of cool stuff these days. You have the new side-by-sides, including a 20-gauge now. Many guns with case coloring. And, of course, those Cerakote finishes. Not only practical, but you'll be the talk of the duck blind or the prairie with a cool color. Learn more about them and find a local dealer at PointerShotguns.com. And while you're there, take a look at some of the videos I put up with them. So, Or maybe they put up with me. It's all at PointerShotguns.com. And keep your gun clean and functioning well by heading over to SageAndBreaker.com. Lots of new stuff coming down the pipeline. Sign up for the mailing list at sageandbreaker.com so you don't miss out. You'll hear about them before everybody else. This time of year, especially right about now, good time to go back to the safe and take a look at some of the guns that maybe you forgot about. They got neglected in one way or another this season, and now here they are languishing, becoming a host for... Well, I'm afraid to guess. All sorts of crud and corrosion. So take a look at sageandbreaker.com. Get all the cleaning, care, and tools you need to take good care of your shotgun. Yeah, and after you've... uh, cleaned or lubricated or taking care of your shotguns think about that hunting season one more time no not the missed shots yeah maybe where we're going next season and possibly whether or not we are actually doing our dog right when we're training them when i started writing my book uh, ironically the last thing i wrote about was thinking like a dog uh, 
but now I do it all the time. I'm always considering how the dogs are reacting to their surroundings. And I've alluded to it earlier in my shooting uh, tips. They move one step at a time in what to them seems a logical order. And they also move not just mentally, but physically that way. They'll always take the shortest route between two points, even if they have to jump over something. Um, any object that's a literal or physical obstacle, that'll throw off a dog's thought process. The same is true with his mental movement as with his physical movement. So if you can, when you're training, just think about, anticipate what your dog's next move is going to be, good or bad. You'll probably be able to head those off before they become a train wreck. I'm watching my dog all the time in the field, especially when we're training. And some, well, let me give you one perfect example and I'll leave it at that. I'm 100 yards away from him yesterday out in the field. And he's doing kind of a creep point, creep point. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I know that's not birds. What the heck is it? And sure enough, I yelled that word, W-H-O-A, because not 50 yards upwind from him were 15 mule deer. They bed down behind the place all the time. And uh, this is the first time we found them this year. But they're out there a lot. And he was ready to go. Caught him just in time, just because I was watching carefully. Now, whether it's to avert uh, a disaster like that, or it's to provide a command or distraction or some sort of direction, or even praise. If you're watching your dog, you'll know when it's time. Yeah, you will. You love your dog. You watch him all the time anticipate, be observant, everybody will be happier. And your dog will probably become a better hunter. Well, I hope some of the things I uh, shared with you today from all the folks who shared them with me help you become a better hunter. I want to thank you all for listening. That is number one on my list. I do this for you, and I appreciate your feedback. If you comment at the social platforms, thank you. Sometimes we're sharing stuff we'd probably rather not, but it is helpful for everyone. Please leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. And thank you to our sponsors who make the time and resources available for me to make this podcast. They are sageandbreaker.com, pointershotguns.com, joydogfood.com, midvalleyclays.com truelockchokes.com and I'll see you at findbirdhuntingspots.com I'm Scott Linden thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast